Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by Rayan Cassis. Would you like to introduce yourself, please, Rayan? Sure, yeah. Thank you for having me. I am uh, a, uh, well, I'm Rayan. been in the energy sector for uh, a bit over 20 years. It started in combined cycle gas turbines. So I was working for GE for the first uh, nine years of my career. And the I got the renewable energy itch, or the bug, if you want to call it, 2009. So moving from a baseload mentality, a baseload technology to uh, wind energy, and having to explain that is quite a challenge when the regulators, the operators, the you know the entire infrastructure surrounding power is based on dispatchable easily dispatchable stable source of uh source of power uh which you know wind energy and solar and other intermittent sources don't have so you know that's where i basically cut my teeth on on the you know the uh, the balance between having you know baseload uh, plants that come from fossil fuels natural gas or whatever other sources towards a future where, you know, you can integrate more renewables. So at the time, it was, how do we integrate, you know, renewables without disturbing the grid? Uh, You know, what percentage of the grid or the power sources on the grid can come from renewables? I think, you know, and we're all in our silos, obviously. So when you jump to to wind energy, all the, the problems of intermittent power seem to go away in a few slides. Uh, but it's not the case, you know, uh, there are real issues, uh, you know, when you don't uh, balance the system properly. So at the time it was, well, okay, can we get to 10%? Uh, can we get to 20% of the national grid using renewables? What's the alternative? You know, there are alternatives, they're in- interconnected systems. That's why countries like Denmark, where you you currently live, can claim sometimes that uh, all of their power is coming from from uh, renewable energy sources is because they can generate all that power and you know on very windy and sunny days you know and then dispatch the excess to their neighbors if they have a great interconnection but on the face of it in isolated situations yeah you cannot really increase more than let's say 30 percent of a of a of a given grid from intermittent uh, sources if you want stable power so that's kind of where where we, we where I got to here with energy storage technology, but I think uh, uh, along the way, you know, I joined. I think the eye opener for me was joining a company called eSolar back in 2014. So this was a concentrated solar company, technology company, focusing on making trying to make uh, uh, CSP work, you know, economically and uh, reliably. Fantastic company, excellent team, top-notch R&D. They developed three commercial products. Some of them are still in operation. But basically, that was kind of... So coming from from baseload, combined cycle, natural gas, power plants, moving on to wind, you know, and then 
uh, moving on to something that offered the promise of dispatchable renewable energy. You know, something a bit more base load, something a bit more that uh, appealing to 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 grid operators, to regulators. Unfortunately, CSP is highly geographic based. You know, you need to high, have uh, very high quality solar intensity, uh, direct normal irradiance, and they take a long time to develop. They're costly, a lot mm. of moving parts. So a lot of players don't really survive in this market for that long. So that's that's really where, in fact, one of one of our co-founders is a former colleague of mine from the eSolar days. So eSolar went into liquidation because of the the tough nature of the business of CSP in particular. I developed my own projects, you know, first wind project in Lebanon, a few other solar and wind projects, and I got the good fortune of, of meeting my co-founders uh, last year, where that combination of thermal expertise, R&D expertise, the concept of thermal photovoltaics, which was new to me, and then combining that in a in a modular system, size of a 40-foot container that that is low cost, that, you know, with a clear conscience, we don't need to mine it anywhere. There's no toxic effects. It's a solid state engine. So I'm excited about this. We have a great team and, uh, you know, we're... we're it's an R&D project for the time being. But uh, yeah, so that's a bit about me. Yeah, so it must be exciting. So what made you go into creating your own company? Was that something that you always wanted to do? Well, it's not my first company. I'd formed companies before as a matter of uh, routine, I would say. And I don't want to say it in an offhand way, meaning, you know, we so we developed a wind project, you know, myself and a few energy entrepreneurs, if you will, mm. you know, in my office, uh, feeling the need that things weren't moving fast enough in a particular country. So why don't we just develop it and, you know, and create a buzz around it and then the regulators will follow, you know, so we, we did just that. We created a we formed a company it didn't cost that much we built a website that doesn't cost that much you know and that really opened my eyes to the fact that you know there's there's no real mystery about it you know all humans are entrepreneurial if you will you know this human activity is entrepreneurial too you know you you want to survive uh, the winter you need to understand how to build something that's kind of entrepreneurial because survival is you know uh, carrying on, you need to understand how to build things, you know. So, without going too too philosophical, but that's basically what opened my eyes because I came from a corporate world, you know. Mm. So, for good or for worse, I think uh, it helped me structure. It helped me in the future with setting up companies because I was hardwired into corporate thinking a little bit. But you know, you, a lot of it is just taking the steps forward, you know? So that's exactly what we did with the wind project in Lebanon. We just exactly that, set up a company, set up a website, went and cobbled together some lands with some landowners and farmers. And we did an outreach, you know, one thing leads to the other, just, you know, a few steps forward, maybe a few steps back sometimes, but you just keep on going. And next thing you know, you create value. You know, and you create something that uh, that you know 
motivates you and and you can build something you can build a team and so yeah so that's so so i i wasn't i wasn't it wasn't daunting to me the only difference here is that you know 20 years down the line you can see things in a different perspective you know if you asked me to form a technology company 10 years ago i would have thought there's there's, there's no chance you know like it's uh you know R&D and but along the way I I I joined eSolar as an R&D company that uh, successfully launched three projects you know it, it's all about the people at the end of the day that's okay. what you realize after after three years hopefully it's for some people they realize it sooner than I did but it's about building the right team to that understands uh, that have a common purpose you know that understand things better than you might understand them and you might understand things better than they might understand that mm-hmm. and uh, that's really where i think the you know the spirit of team really comes into play when when you actually found something found as in found a company and you have uh, you recognize that the diversity and difference of experience is what creates so rather than having you know five people who have exactly the same experience leading to conflict because everyone you know is wired the same way i think that's that's kind of a lesson i've taken from this but yeah it's been it's been uh, it's been a very uh, motivating uh, experience okay so how do you know when you're creating value within within a project that you're doing well first you you base it on a need Obviously, so there is, uh, you know, you've created value when, you know, you've reached certain stages that uh, you've had a permit, for example. So in project development, for example, there's key milestones that might take three years, you know. So to develop a project, it's not just about setting up a website, obviously, but, you know, the value is zero until you have a piece of paper that says that what you've developed is recognized as you know as technology technologically and financially sound so that's how you create value in on the project level mm. uh, how do you create value at the technology level is that you've demonstrated core aspects of what you think you're going to develop and it has been successfully demonstrated uh, you have data sets that give you uh, you know the the tools to be able to adjust your design so that uh, you make it more efficient you make it more operable you make it more maintainable so that's really the beauty of of a commercial r&d project for a technology as opposed to a project is that this is where you create value it is obviously you bring you bring your combined skills and knowledge that minimizes the risk of you failing, obviously. But you need to create a, a physical project product that that works, that has a utility for your mm-hmm. customers, for your uh, stakeholders. And to do that, it has to run properly. It has to be efficient. So obviously, the number one value you're creating is to create a system that works, number one. Then it might work, but it might not be easily to maintain. It might have, you know, it might be a nightmare for operators. You know, you mm-hmm. might have a fantastic unit, but 
you deploy it and the operators don't like it. You know, it's hard to maintain. It's a headache, you know, and then someone else comes along and, you know, has something that's easier to use. So you have to think about operation maintenance. So how to design a perfect product that's nice to use, let's say, you know, it's like anything. You want to buy something that's nice and easy to use, you know. So what are the features? What are the software features? What are the, you know, monitoring diagnostics that you need to incorporate? So those are the, those. that's how you really create the value is that, uh, you know, it's something that has utility to the stakeholders that, whether it's a customer or, or, well, it's a customer at the end of the day. Okay. So you were going back to saying that the most important thing in any company is the team. Do you really believe that? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. This is the most important uh, aspect is the team. And uh, this is why it's very important for startups and companies to uh, build a strong culture because the culture motivates the team. And the culture is based on common sets of values, you know, so that's, it's extremely important. This is how you keep a motivated team at the end of the day. This is Mm. how, this is how you build value. This is how people are innovative. This is how people come to, you know, you want to come to an office where you, you, you feel that you share a common purpose. So, you know, you're not going to develop anything if you come in unhappy and uh, people don't understand you you don't understand them and um, so it's very important it's number one okay okay but you were going on you were you were saying before when you were working with other companies that you saw a, a, a gap in the market that maybe wasn't being progressed quick enough I think it was in when you were doing the wind and solar and you saw that gap in the market and then you started to work on that. And then you thought that once you had developed something, others would follow suit. That is really commendable, though, and maybe really hard. Is it really hard to find gaps in the market to have a really good business business idea? I think uh, timing is important, you know. Being the right person at the right time, at the right place is important. So that helps. But Mm. I'm always astounded by what I see. You know, I've been in several venture building platforms, accelerators, and I'm always astounded to see the talent and ideas that come out there. So so I can say I, I was at the right time, at the right place at many times in my career. I could say I've, you know, I've been at the right time at the, with the wrong people at many times in my career uh you want to minimize that but it's a fact of life um uh, but uh you know yes you do need to see a, a need in the market you know and this is where it's very important to if you're so inclined to to do so is to always listen to people and understand hear their hear their ideas because people have fantastic ideas you know that become commercial successes because they they've they they've seen a need even when the need is is not very clear yet so yeah i find people brilliant in in many cases but from from my own perspective you know 
yeah, we took risks, you know, you can, you should allow yourself some risk taking. So at the time in that particular case, there was no regulations for a wind energy farm. It was mm. old school, tender approach, uh, un, non-privatized, you know, the government knows best. Mm. But then the government, we realized the government didn't know best, you know, and uh, that they wouldn't be able to develop a wind farm or a solar project on their own. Um, and this is where we took the calculated risk, I would say, to go ahead and and invest in the development of our own project and then kind of present it as a established fact. So it can work in some cases. I wouldn't say it works in most in most cases, but it can work where they there is a need, people want to get there, they haven't defined how they want to get there yet. And this is where you know you can come and say, I've already developed it, here it is, you know, based on sound technical principles, of course, not not you know, not the you know, pie in the sky. Like this is because I come from this background. So you also have to have some expertise. But yeah, we took the risk and we presented it. And a year later, uh, the actual policy came out that allowed us to to bid for a power purchase agreement for a project that we developed over as a as an idea over coffee, um, you know, in a small office. And uh, yeah, so particularly proud of that. Um, even though it could have ended completely, you know. In, could have lost a bit of money. It didn't cost that much money initially. Mm-hmm. You know, but as uh, as things uh, become more solid, more real, you know, you start to get paperwork, documentation, proposals. You get some permits. Then it becomes more real. You get the whole architecture of a, of a real project coming to fruition. So I think, uh, yeah, so it could have failed. They could have said no. We could have lost a bid. Uh, we could have, uh, you know, we could have they we could have been sent packing home, and then you move on to the next thing. So, yeah, there's this that's that's the nature of, you know, building something from scratch. It is, and it's really commendable that, that people that you're able to build something from scratch because that is really hard to do. It is normally people take something that's already there and then modify it and try and make it better. So it is quite really commendable that you were able to build something from scratch. But do you really think, do you think it's hard to overcome if it doesn't work out and you're sent home packing? That must be really difficult to deal with. How do you even keep a straight head to keep on moving forward? Well, I mean, uh, it is... You know, de- depends on how 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 bad you're sent packing home. You know, if you've invested everything you have, and you don't have any uh, any you know backup or security, yeah, it can be quite painful. You can lose years of of your uh, mental and professional well being. Um, but that's that's why I think. You know, you have to take calculated risks, especially in this industry. I'm not talking about other industries. You know, it's not a very wide viewpoint 
although you can apply many aspects of it, but essentially you need to be passionate and convinced and have a team that understands, you know, the more people understand what you're doing, uh, the more you're validating your hunch, basically, mm. that this can work out. And it's also it's also useful to have backing as well. Um, so you're not the only one. So it's a calculated risk, yeah. Okay, but is it, is it important to take risks in business, though? It's important to take uh, uh, risks. Innovation is, is taking risks. It's seeing something and saying, well, I think it could be better. You might be wrong, you know. If you're right, you'll be the hero. If you're wrong, if you're wrong too many times, then that will that will stick to you. But uh, you want to be wrong as, uh, you know, everyone is wrong, you know. But uh, I think that's that's the key thing. So, yeah. Okay. But is it hard to, to admit when you're wrong and overcome that? I mean, how do you, how do you turn something that's maybe gone wrong into something that's successful and how do when do you know how when, do you do it yeah yeah and when do you know i was going to ask you as well when do you know when it's right when when you should just throw in the towel especially in business because pe- some people i would think would uh would keep going no matter what some people keep going they chase the wrong assumptions and this is where you know, you need to be honest with yourself and make uh, decisions based on facts, you know, and not uh, emotions. Meaning that, you know, a lot of, and I've seen this before, you know, you keep throwing uh, after the same problem, you know, and the solution might be to either quit or radically rethink your direction, uh, even if it might cost extra. But it will, you know, you can over, you can overcome your certain limitations by redirecting the project in a different way. So yeah, that's this is where, and it comes back to people again. You know, is that if there's not a, an open uh, environment where people can can voice their their concerns and objections, whether it's technical or commercial, then you're in the wrong place. And I know it's very difficult to get out of the wrong place. A lot of people need that salary. People need to be secure. That's a very genuine concern. But from my experience, and I've had very bad experiences, is that when, you've, when you're when you in a toxic environment, you need to get out of there as soon as possible because that is, that is always going to end in, in failure. And usually, if you're the one at the receiving end of that concern, meaning you feel that you don't have the voice to to or the ability to voice your concerns, you will probably be the one who's going to be first thrown under the bus. <laughs> so uh, it's not funny, actually, but uh, I think for anyone hearing this, if you're in a toxic work environment, get out of there and make it clear that this needs to change. That is that is my number one advice on that. Do you think it is important to leave to a toxic work environment? Because a lot of people don't. A lot of people maybe think that they maybe don't have the strength to leave. Most people do not leave. Most people do not leave. It is, um, like I said, salary and prestige. And it might be a fantastic name company. People might look up to it. 
you know, but inside there's a problem, you know, and uh, this is where you have a problem, you know, that toxic environment is always, always going to lead to bad decisions and bad decisions always, always have a result. There's an effect that happens down the line from bad decisions. You might not see it for some time, but it will come. There's always a cost to something and bad decisions made under the wrong environment are are the worst because you know there's 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 no channels to to raise objections it's always a penalty for for speaking out so and in fact you know you can see this you know people say people the great resignation people have been leaving you know the workspace uh, they don't want to work in these you know big conglomerates i mean that's fair to say on one side but that means that there's a problem with these big, big organizations that they need to relook at their culture, you know, and I've seen it and I'm not going to name names, you know, but, uh, you know, I've seen big companies with strong cultures just go adrift uh, because of politics, because of perceived inability to speak, you know, you because of the way they evaluate people. I mean, it's just, it's not made for humans. It's made for, you know, some robotic uh, fun fest, you know. It's, so it is, um, you know, when you're young, you don't, you just, you, your focus is on building your career, you know. You might not even be extremely passionate yet. These things come, you know, come later. Especially in, in technology where, especially in the energy sector, technology, energy sector, you know, where traditionally, uh, you know, products are manufactured by these big conglomerates. You know, innovation has been slow to come. Only in the past, I think with solar and wind, you know, entrepreneurial activity had really boomed. And then with smart grids, so all the, the big traditional ways of doing things have, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, the, the space is much more dynamic now. So, I think uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned with that. But going back to the the environment, you know, when you're a young person, you're building your career, you know, you might not even see the toxic environment because no one even cares who you are. You know, you're just a young, fresh uh, employee, you know, trying to figure out their way. But as soon as you do recognize it, it's safe to say that you should try to find a safe way out as soon as possible. Do you think the higher up you go in your career, the more likelihood you are for to become the, the, I would almost say, the victim of toxicity people? I think in a big organization with a weaker culture or a weakened culture, that you will find that as you go up, the personal relationships become more political relationships. And that creates a bad environment, you know. So my message for these big companies is rethink. If you think you don't have a solid culture, if you can go home and and have worries about your culture, then you should dedicate your a big part of your time to fixing that. Yeah, but a lot of them, do you really think the, the, the larger corporate companies the CEOs might not even know know where they're. No, they don't. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I've met CEOs that are some of the most wonderful people you can meet. 
you know, where and in the organization, it wasn't the case. And I think you see the problem. I think a lot of this problem, in fact, is because of these new companies that have been formed and grew too too quickly. Mm. Uh, again, I won't name names, but grew too quickly, phenomenally quickly. And then had to manage a global organization when they were a, a, a regional organization. So, you know, culture comes into play because the closer you get to the core culture of the company, you know, you can see, okay, it's built on on sound values. But as you go outside of the the core culture, and by culture, I mean not only corporate culture, but the actual culture you know, whether it's Northern European versus, you know, versus others. So that's where what I've seen is that the regional management start to act as the only representative of the of the home culture, basically as a shield. And it can, you know, I guess they're just protecting their position, but that's 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 how it, you know. There are cases where, you know, it's it's not as stark as that, but the effects can can be can lead to that in many cases if it's not if it's not properly managed so a growing organization that needs to deal with new geographies has to be you know quite aware of how really rethink how to make a new culture you know but one that doesn't lose the old culture but that can integrate easily you know in a global more global environment i think uh, that's something to be aware of in this day and age, especially in our sector, because because there there's a lot of startups, there's a lot of not startups, but originally startups. You know what that leads to is cultural confusion. So I think uh, that's a, that's an important part. Okay, so how do you mean by cultural confusion then? Because when you grow too fast, you you, you or if you grow just when you form a company, you need to maybe at the early stages when it's just one or two or three of you, you know, you, you can't say it's a culture. You're just a team of people who get along and are working towards the same objectives. But eventually you need a, a corporate culture, a company culture, a, a, a spirit, you know, something that binds us all together. So different companies do it in different ways. They have events, they have, you know, uh, off-site, they have, you know, peculiarities of how they do things that, you know, make them proud to work in the place they work, you know. you And you also have to recognize it's not everything, you know. You, you, It's a part of your life, but it's not everything. And as long as it's integrated well, then... So that's that's why, you know, if, if you grow too fast, you're going to miss a lot of things. You're going to hire people, uh, you know, you're going to grow. And those people don't know. They're going to add to your culture, but... You know, you need to make sure that that people have the same, you know, you want a motivated, uh, you want your peers to be as motivated as you, uh, right? You don't want a, the person sitting next to you not to, you know, not to feel that they fit in. So, yeah, it's tricky. It's very important. Mm-hmm. I think it's so too. I think getting your, your company culture is right, is really important. But it would be difficult, especially if you were a really large multinational company having many divisions around the world, having that unified message would be quite difficult. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, it is. I think what helps, especially in technology companies, is that you have you have a common language internally, meaning technical review committees, commercial review committees. You have a common platform from generating proposals. You have a common language, you know, so that creates and people use the same software and, and software is annoying. The same things that annoy one person will annoy the other person, you know. So that kind of creates this kind of lighthearted, you know, common, you know, common lives between people, whether they're in Brazil or Denmark, they're still, they log into the same thing. They join discussions uh, on the same calls, you know, so that definitely helps, you know, and then when they meet once a year or twice a year, they know each other by phone, you know, and so I've seen companies do that brilliantly, actually. Some of the companies I've worked with, they've done it really uh, fantastically and it creates a nice, uh, nice atmosphere. So that's, that's the positive side there. There's, there's ways to, to address that and, and uh, especially if it's a well-run professional organization, then you know you can you can create that common uh, that common space in a global environment. Okay, I think so too. So you were going back. I was going to ask you. So have you ever had any career disasters yourself? Then I've had a few career disasters. Yeah, I've been in situations where I've felt completely isolated due to a new management and booted out, you know, just summarily dismissed, you know, for for purely political reasons. So, you know, and what I mean by political reasons is that there's no review, you know, everything is fine, beautiful, we're working on a common strategy. Someone new comes in, wants to bring in their own lieutenants, you know, and, you know, takes a takes a kick at the weakest links so i've had that i've had situations where well like i said toxic environments where you know really i would say what's that word where burnout completely burn you out just lost completely interest to to lift a finger simply because uh, i was put in an intense pressure cooker to develop a project and yeah so that created a very bad cycle and i you know i'm not i'm not the person to to shy away from raising my viewpoints you know so so i would say they were career disasters but uh, but i think in hindsight they were extremely valuable to me as a person you know these things tend to make you uh, more aware of the complexities of you know of human nature and of, uh, and also to be aware that don't burn out you know because the effects are for you know they're if you feel that you're under number two advice for me if you feel that you're going in through a situation where you're going to burn out that's a time to raise your hand and seek help uh, whether it's internally or uh, or medically, professionally, you know, because that's a real thing and it, it can affect you and people around you. Yeah, because don't you think that there is a culture of burnout, though? Especially think, in the energy sector, I think so. I think there's a, there's, there is a culture of uh, 
the, you know, you do see burnouts simply because sometimes you, some people tend to stake a reputation for, you know, just bulldozing through everything and making things happen until they, they're, you know, so they might not be the ones to speak out, you know, and so I'm saying on there's two spectrums. There's, there's management things or whoever, you know, the company decides to pile on all this responsibility to someone who's, who will burn out from that responsibility. So I don't think that's fair, actually, because, you know, there's, you, you have to be in touch. You have to be understand what's, what's possible or not. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, um, I think that goes back to the toxic work environment at the end of the day, you know, where it's at any cost, you know, get it done. You know, and uh, because someone really high up is not going to be happy. Well, you know, he's not going to be happy, but I'm going to burn out. You know, I I hope he's still happy, you know. So I'm saying like in general, like, Mm. you know, you need to think about what makes sense. Okay. So it's better to get out before you burn out then. That's your advice. Yeah, it's not as, yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, I, I think um, the problem when you have the problem becomes worse when you have positions of responsibility towards other people. I think this is where it becomes a bit dangerous because it's hard to leave when you feel that uh, you have people that are dependent on on you. Mm. Um, yeah. So let's. Uh, I think yeah, but you said that you think uh, there's a lot of burnouts in. Uh, this sector i mean i would say yeah yeah there's there's a lot of projects going on and there's a lot of pressure to get things done and it's uh there's not enough people everyone knows that there's not enough people in this industry so there's more being done by fewer people but do you not just think that's just the way that companies want to run they just want to to work especially in some of the bigger companies they would just want to work your work their employees to the to the maximum even though even though they still need two people to do one job they will still only hire one person to uh, do a vast majority of the work yeah i would say if you can combine like uh, the european approach with the us you can probably get something in the middle that's maybe the nordic uh, corporate culture and mm. You know, because you recognize that there's, you know, at five o'clock, you kind of five oh five, don't expect to get on a call with someone in Denmark. Mm. I thought that was the most fantastic thing I've ever heard, uh, I've ever seen. You know, we're in a high pressure project uh, situation, but you know that you're not going to call your colleague at five oh five because he's with his family or six oh five. I'm not saying they get off at five, uh, whatever the time is. So I think that is, you know, I think that's healthy, you know, and you should encourage healthy, healthy practices for who you call your team. <laughs> so you need to mean team, you know, to, to, and their well-being and their personal life and professional life. So I think it's very, uh, I think people need to be aware, you know, and and if you're in a position of responsibility, then it's not about numbers because your numbers won't sustain themselves if you have a burned out team who don't uh, 
have a good balance. Yeah, but there is there is a kind of culture, especially in the energy sector, whereas if you burn out, some people just feel like you would just get someone else. It's how it's how cutthroat it can be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is, yeah. Depends on you know on which part of the energy sector. I mean, the energy sector is quite uh, you know. There's a the construction side. There's the EPCs. There's developers. There's you know people have different stress levels, different aspects. As the technology providers, those can vary wildly. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah, it is. So, do you find it hard to have mentors within your career? being uh, your own boss or do you mentor each other if you're working in a small team do i have a, a, a mentoring uh yeah thing? yeah do you have if, do you have find it hard to have mentors within your career when you're when you I think have- i'm finding it easier now uh, i think when i was younger i was probably more uh not ready to take mentorship let me let me put it this way I think mentors are important, but I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of the best mentors I've had, I didn't intend them to be mentors, and they probably don't know their mentors, but just through working and, and understanding how they work and, you know, that, you know, a lot of time you have your core values, but you also, like, understand having ways amazing- of doing things, a certain professional uh, approach, you know, and and... There's a lot of these moments where that checks the box for you and you're like, okay, this is someone that you look up to professionally and personally and mm. and you learn from that person. So, yeah, I think it's important. I think it's very important to, you don't have to formally name it a mentorship or give an award or something, but it's important to value and recognize positive influences and seek out their advice, you know, at... You know, people like to, at least myself, you know, I'd be honored that someone comes to me and asks for my advice anytime. So it doesn't matter who it is, you know, really anyone. If someone comes and asks me for advice, I take it as a badge of honor that I'm worthy of, you know, of uh, of being asked that. And my experiences will bring some value to another person. So I think, yeah, from that aspect, I think a very healthy thing that I've seen in the past is, where it doesn't have to be an executive, but someone takes care of a, a new talent that joined the team, and you know, and uh, you know, you, yeah, I think it's helpful. You know, a mentorship program within new organizations at the corporate level. Yeah, you always rely on you know people that you've worked with, seen, seen how they've succeeded, ways of doing things, mm. ways of setting up a company, uh, ways of inspiring people. You know, it's, there's many aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. I think that's all the questions I'm going to ask you, actually, because it's been about an hour, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah unless you want to discuss anything else. No, yeah, th- th- thanks for having me. That I think uh, uh, you were right. Uh, having it, uh, you know, without any preparation is a lot better. I than, think so, too. That's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank Rayan for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week.
That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.